To make your kiss incomplete I wanna talk to you When life reaches out and takes you Welcome to Prince Track by Track presents Stevie Wonder Classics. Today we're going to be talking about Do Yourself a Favor, uh, which over here I'm spelling with a U in it. From the album Where I'm Coming From, released on the 12th of April 1971. On the track it is Stevie Wonder, and as with everything on this album, it was written by Stevie and Syrita. Uh, the track is 6 minutes 10, and joining me to talk about today is Christy Norman. Hello, Christy. Hello. I mean, I, uh, right out the gate, I'm going to say probably... Yep one of my favorite tracks from this album i think yeah. it's, for me it's probably between this and the next track I, I don't i don't know which one i like more but they're probably my top two off this album it's i mean i think it's kind of rare that stevie wonder does this but when he sings the words do yourself a favor and he has like the the keyboard part like mimic his voice yeah it's so cool it's so cool yeah this is such a fun <laughs> yeah. funky song it's i really enjoyed it and i i think as well like like the whole chorus of like you know do yourself a favor educate your mind get yourself together which i, I feels like he's lecturing a little bit but he's <laughs> still a little and, bit but i i love the i'm going to push you to like be your best self like he's lecturing us a little bit but he's like this is really the best thing you can do for you is to educate yourself come on man get with yeah. the program i'm like a little bit of lecturing but like <laughs> In the most constructive way. Yeah. And particularly, he says, hey, there ain't much time. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, like, I, I mean, I kind of like the sense of urgency. Yeah, well, um, life's short. And I, you know, yeah. And, and this is, and the thing is, like, even though this is, you know, a relatively long song. Yeah. Um, there's not, there's not really a huge amount of, like, um, like, there's two verses and you kind of get the do yourself a favor chorus like once. Yeah, it's like, well, all the lyrics are done in the first half of the song. Yeah, yeah. And then it just, I mean, I, you know, this is something I think maybe uh, the guy at Rolling Stone had a problem with. Um, which, yes. <laughs> which is. Uh, I was like, what is wrong with, I mean, maybe because I'm coming from a Prince background where Prince did this kind of stuff a lot where he had a lot of lyrics to begin with and then kind of just let the jam, the band jam out. And I think the guy at Rolling Stone didn't care for that because, but I really did. I was like, this is awesome. Like, it's good. It's just, he can go on and riff and yeah, I'm here for this. Yeah. I I think that's the, like, you know, he's, he's obviously uh, kind of, he's comparing this to Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, which I think is un- uh, kind of unfair because, Fair. you know, this is this is Stevie Wonder kind of starting out in his kind of career, at, at, you know, as he, as he would be for the rest of the 70s, like, you know, fully self-produced, writing every song, or in this case, co-writing every song on the album, yeah. you know, doing all the production, kind of doing every, all of that. He's then being compared to Marvin Gaye, who was probably at roughly the peak of his powers. Yeah. Um, so it, it'd be almost like comparing any other like debut artist in 1976 to songs in the key of life and being like, why aren't you as good as this? Yeah. And I just feel like the comparison is not that fair in that review, but also like he kind of talks about how, you know, it's kind of overproduced and like, this t- like he kind of complains about the stuff about it that I think is actually its biggest selling point, which is that Stevie Wonder kind of, um, you know, is this kind of genius and can do everything. And so with a song like this, where he, you know, he just kind of, 
gets the lyrics out of the way quickly and then spends the rest of the kind of song just jamming away. Um, like for me, that's what I like about the song. Yeah, <laughs> me like, too. Is the fact that he's, you know, is, is the fact that he's kind of indulging himself a little bit and, you know, maybe showing off a little bit and, uh, you know, to everybody else who's on Motown as if to say, look, if I wanted, I can do like a six minute jam. Yeah. And there's nothing very good he can do to stop me at this point. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, I, d- I mean, I don't know that there's a huge amount in like the verses to kind of talk about. I mean, well, there's a, there's a lot like of I biblical said, references, which... Yeah, you know, I mean, he's right talking about ride a thorny mule that cries, uh, like Judas, pay the price, 30 pieces for a ride. I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of, it's an interesting way to do a biblical reference without like hitting you over the head with it, which I thought was kind of yeah. nice and accessible. But I like this, this, uh, you know, isolated junkyard letting out the garbage, yeah. eating through the core of life. You're like, okay, I mean... Um, I, I mean, I don't know if that's Cyrita's influence because I feel like Stevie Wonder's kind of songwriting, uh, certainly on these first couple of albums, um, you know, is a little bit simpler than that. This does feel like, she, you know, there's a certain influence that she's having as like a, you know, an older woman on him and kind of right. maybe, I don't know, making making him maybe think about stuff in a bit a slightly different way, um, you know, because phrases like persecute your own self-pride and suffocate the new high. <laughs> Um, you know, once we get to kind of some of the later Stevie Wonder stuff, it doesn't really strike me that this is kind of his voice. Right. Um, but I don't know. Maybe maybe that's maybe it's just the way that I think of Stevie Wonder. And also at this point, he's like, I don't know, 21? Yeah, <laughs> like, he's a pretty young man. Yeah. So to be kind of like talking about persecute your own self-pride and, and you know, ride the thorny mule. It's like this. I mean, it, it, it feels a little bit odd coming from a 21 year old. Um you know, and even yeah, it's maybe a little poetic, yeah, uh, and a little more metaphorical than his typical songwriting style. So I definitely agree that probably his wife had some influence on what he was writing around this time. Yeah, I mean, if you think about something like you know, signed, sealed, delivered, that's kind of like a classic like Motown kind of song. And that feels more like a kind of how I think of Stevie Wonder's songwriting is is that kind of song, um, you know, where there's, right. a, there's a little bit of a play on words, but it's mostly very straightforward kind of declarations. Right. Uh, the, the phrasing of, you know, shredded know-how gave away species of the human race. It's like, this, yeah. that doesn't quite feel like, you know, the sign seal delivered Stevie Wonder that I know. Um, you know, and even like the Hall of Grit is is known too well. Heaven is still your hell. Poison slowly, slowly drowns. <laughs> the devil step right yeah. in. Lucifer is your only friend. I mean, it feels like it's laying it on a little bit thick. I mean, like the chorus is just basically, you know, educate your mind, get yourself together. You know, like whereas in the verses it seems to go like a lot darker. When it kind of doesn't really match the music no. that much with how dark it is, but he kind of he delivers the lyrics pretty quickly. So yeah, you just kind of I was going to say go with it. I feel like it's one of those songs where it's it's like a chorus song where people know the chorus quite well or can sing yeah. along to the chorus, but when it gets to the verse, they probably just kind of mumble along a little bit until they maybe recognize a word they hear and they're kind of like oh yes with open open arms it waits i bet do you don't you wish you could reach the ground and it's like do yourself a favor like um you know kind of back to the chorus but yeah and and then like we said most of the song is just kind of stevie jamming out um and you know this is the kind of stuff on this particular album i think this this kind of indicates um you know where he's gonna head i mean this is literally like the, the second track 
of you know this run of albums um and technically right. speaking a lot of people don't feel that this album actually qualifies as part of his classic run although i would say because he is writing everything producing everything playing everything himself i think that's kind of the hallmark of what i consider the start of stevie's classic run you know like his previous album to this he did produce but only half the songs on it were his um you know right and, and like the single that he released immediately before he started this run of albums was um you know a cover of a beatles song <laughs> so like right you know that that does, like him doing a cover of beatles song uh as interesting as he did you know i, I mean I, I really like his version of we can work it out it, it that's not like classic stevie wonder you know that's stevie wonder's still kind of under the thumb of motown and being forced to do what barry gordy wants <laughs> whereas right. this album is very much him saying to barry you know if you don't let me do what I want, I'm literally walking out after this contract finishes and after this album deal finishes. And for that reason, and I think something like Do Yourself a Favour is a good example of, you know, the idea. Let's, I mean, I would say it's it gets a bit sharpened up over kind of like from Talking Book, Inner Visions, Fulfilling This First Finale. I think those three albums are so well put together and so well sequenced and everything is so kind mm -hmm. of tightly focused. Uh, that it does kind of draw into relief the fact that an album like this is a little less focused. Um, okay. You know, like, I uh, personally, if I was going to put the album into an order, I wouldn't follow Do Yourself a Favour with Think of Me as Your Soldier. Like, I think Think of Me as Your Soldier is probably the end of the first side if, if I was going to sequence it myself. Um, you know, okay. and, you know, I'd start the second side with Take Up a Course in Happiness, you know, like, I, but, you know, that's just me. Uh, but... In mm -hmm. terms of in terms of the way Stevie was thinking, I think he's still thinking track by track here. He's still thinking individual songs. Whereas by the time we get past music on my mind and we're into inner visions and um, you know f f kind of talking book from then on, he did he has an idea of what an album is, and you know the songs feel like they're part of an album. Whereas here, it still right. feels a little disjointed going from you know look around to this to think of music. Yeah. like each track is good but they don't feel like they're part of a whole. Yeah, it's a little more fragmented than some of his more, more mature work. Yeah, but I'm not going to hold it against him because, quite frankly, no. you know, by 26, he'd, he'd, he'd managed to get up to, you know, t uh, Songs of the Key of Life, and he had a yeah. body of work that was kind of, you know... I, I, I don't know that there's any artists, like, today or since this point that have kind of have had a run of albums as good as, you know, something like Where I'm Coming From, through to songs of the key in life like i i can't think of any other artist and i would even include prince in that i think you could probably include some yeah. prince's 80s run but there's one or two albums where i think even people would disagree how strong they are yeah um but you know so that so the fact that he does all that before 26 you know it feels almost churlish to kind of criticize him in any way um but <laughs> why you know. weren't you more mature and more <laughs> yeah you know, good at putting an album together by the time you were 21. Come on, man. Yeah. I think, yeah. More about I think we can give him a pass. Yeah. So, but I still, I mean, I love just, I think, I think kind of as well, the, you know, the, the, I mean, it, I mean, the song isn't really kind of in a groove as much as some of the other stuff that's on, you know, later albums, but there is sort of the start of what I would, you know, classify as groovy Stevie, which is when he, he like, once he starts playing the drums on everything, which I think happens kind of really with the next couple of albums, then he, he is able to kind of assert himself a bit more and kind of, you know, uh, he's relies less on the kind of clavinet to give the rhythm of the song. Um, and I think on this track, yeah. he's really relying on the clavinet to kind of drive the rhythm. 
and it's a little less successful than you know some of the drum grooves that he comes up with later on um but still like i said probably one of my favorite two songs on this this album you know easily a five out of five for me but i just you know oh yeah oh absolutely this is it's great i mean i don't have like strong opinions about a lot of Stevie Wonder's songs, but I really I enjoyed the song. I thought it was great. I particularly enjoyed the part that the people in Rolling Stone didn't care for, and I think that was that's maybe just a a different place that we're coming from. That was 1971. This is 2019. It's you know I have a different opinion because I grew up with music in a different way. They were all two three minute songs on the radio is what they preferred. And I'm like, give me the long jam, man. So <laughs> it's good. Yeah, I think uh, like Vince Aletti as well. Like, I I mean, I guess he kind of got, you know, he turned his opinions around because by the time Songs in the Key of Life came out, I think he also um, d- did the review for that and he declared that to be like a okay. masterpiece. So he did kind of get turned around on Stevie Wonder and, and, and kind of agreed, um, you know, that it was a classic. Uh, but he, like he, he, yeah, he's like he doesn't like this album. He doesn't like the next album. He's not really that keen on like you know. I th- I think they they stopped him from reviewing Stevie Wonder stuff because he was so negative, <laughs> and everybody else was so positive. And then Stevie Wonder started winning Grammy of the Year for pretty much everything. And then by that point, I don't think that I don't think that he could kind of disagree, um, you know, with with what was going on. But yeah, you know, he he the funny thing about Vincelletti, like he worked from Rolling Stone from like 1970 to 1989, which is like, you know, that's quite yeah. a long period of time. And then he was also the senior editor of The Village Voice for 20 years uh, up to 2005. So, you know, wow. he, he basically, yeah, he, spe- he you know, he spent, a, you know, almost like 35 years, is that like reviewing stuff? You know, so, you know, he had a good career, but it's it's kind of weird that he like so hates these first two albums. And I think, you know, I can understand, like, if you're if you're a critic in the 70s and you're hearing this stuff from Stevie Wonder, like, this isn't this is like St- Stevie Wonder's like, I don't know, 12th or 13th album. Like, right. You know, so he, it's not like he's a new artist. But I think, you know, looking back, you can see that actually this this Stevie Wonder is not the Stevie Wonder from a year before. Um, you know, this is yeah. this is a difference. You know, the, like the stuff that Stevie Wonder did up until, you know, the previous album was Stevie Wonder kind of being controlled by Motown and forced to kind of do stuff. And whereas from this point on, it's Stevie Wonder allowed to kind of just do whatever he wants. And, you know, most of that is, is kind of, you know, he makes kind of good choices and, and, you know, his musical taste is kind of, uh, for, you know, like you say, for someone who's so young is so kind of precise and, you know, like it's kind of amazing how quickly he goes from an album like this, which is a little bit jumbled to, by the time you get to talking book, it's, you know, We'll talk about it later on, but it's it's unrivaled. Like yeah. how how great that album is. Like it's so like track track to track. It's so well done and so well put together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is there anything else that needs the to be said? The sequence really makes sense in yeah. a way that this album isn't quite as successful at. No, but you know, I like yeah. I said, can't hold it against Stevie Wonder. He's a genius. No. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. You know, yes. he was finding his way, and I, th- you know. Even even Prince's career started with two albums that most people agree are you know less great than the rest of the stuff that followed. Right. Um, so if we if we're giving Stevie Wonder the credit and saying this is the start of his new career, 
you know, he starts out with two albums that are less than great, and then he he quickly becomes you know unparalleled. Right. Um. You know, so I I can't I can't hold that against him. So if there's nothing else to say about this track, let's go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug, Christian? Sure. I have a couple of podcasts. I have a Prince podcast called The Mountains and the Sea, where we look at the highs and lows of each and every Prince album. We talk about ancillary materials, B-sides, fashion videos, protégés, all that kind of stuff. You can find us on Twitter at TMATS, T-M-A-T-S podcast. And I also have a true crime adjacent podcast where we look at the intersection of crime and entertainment, and that's called Killer Fun. And you can find us on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod. And for this project, you can find us on Twitter at Stevie Wyman. Thanks for being my guest here today, Christy. It was my pleasure. Otherwise, goodbye.